0: Would you have now God's Word open us up? Uh, We'll be looking at Leviticus chapter 25. And uh, we'll start with verse 8. And we'll read uh, a few selected passages. This is the reading of God's Holy Word. You shall count seven weeks of years, seven times seven years, so that the time of the seven weeks of years shall give you 49 years. Then you shall sound the loud trumpet on the tenth day of the seventh month. On the day of atonement you shall sound the trumpet throughout all your land. And you shall consecrate the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you when each of you shall return to his property and each of you shall return to his clan. In this year of jubilee, each of you shall return to his property. Verse 13, 14. And if you make a sale to your neighbor or buy from your neighbor, you shall not wrong one another. You shall pay your neighbor according to the number of years after the jubilee, and he shall sell to you according to the number of years for crops. Verse 17. You shall not wrong one another, but you shall fear your God. For I, am your, for I am the Lord your God. Moving down, verse 23. The land shall not be sold in perpetuity, for the land is mine, for you are strangers and sojourners with me, and the country you possess, you shall allow a redemption of the land. If your brother becomes poor and sells part of his property, then his nearest Redeemer shall come and redeem what his brother has sold, If a man has no one to redeem it, and then himself becomes prosperous and finds sufficient means to redeem it, let him calculate the years since he sold it, and pay back the balance to the man to whom he sold it, and then return to his property. But if he does not have sufficient means to recover it, then what he sold shall remain in the hand of the buyer until the year of Jubilee. In the Jubilee it shall be released and he shall return to his property. Uh, We'll end here. Uh, Would you join me in prayer at this time? Would you speak, O Lord, and renew our minds? Help us grasp the height of your plans for us. Truths unchanged from the dawn of time that will echo throughout all eternity. And by grace we'll stand on your promises, and by faith we'll walk as you walk with us. Speak, O Lord, as your church is built, and the earth is filled with your glory. Amen. Uh, Leviticus 25 is, I think, one of the most important chapters in the Old Testament it deals with a variety of very serious and important issues ranging from social justice to property rights labor rights farming practices caring for the poor to the treatment of immigrants and all of these things are centered around this one year called the Jubilee now this morning what I want to do is I want to break down this dense and important chapter into four parts okay let me explain first what the Jubilee is. Then second, what it teaches us about God. Third, how this Jubilee can be applied to us Christians. And finally, fourth, how Jesus fulfills even this. So let's get right into it. First, what is the Jubilee? Well, the Jubilee, uh, as we can tell from our passage, was a special year that came around once every 50 years. And it was a year of emancipation and restoration, meaning at the beginning of that year, everyone would be released from their debt, workers would be freed from their labor contracts, and most importantly, everyone would return to their original property. Now, why was this necessary? Well, when the Israelites first entered the Promised Land, God gave to every family, every tribe, a portion of the land so that they can farm it and eat from it. However uh, over the course of time things would happen. Life would happen. Uh, Maybe there was a drought and that affected your land way more than others. Maybe there was a drought and that affected your land Way more than others. Maybe your land produced a certain crop, but the yield was poor for the past few years. Or maybe someone in your family made a bad mistake, a bad investment, or maybe the head of your household got sick and was unable to work during the harvest. See life would happen, difficulties would arise, mistakes would be made, and as a result For the sake of survival, so that families and children could eat, people would have been forced to sell their land and become a hired worker at someone else's land. Uh, It's very similar to today uh, a foreclosure. right? Someone being forced to sell their home because of external circumstances or mistakes that they're responsible for. Now, when the year of Jubilee would come around, The sound of a ram's horn would be blasted throughout the land and that would be the signal for everyone to go back to their original land. Workers would be freed and contracts would be released and it would restore original ownership. Everything would reset again on the year of Jubilee. It was truly a year of liberty and restoration. Now, I know some of you might be wondering, wait, why is this in the Bible? Right? Why does God concern himself with seemingly earthly matters? Things like real estate practices, property rights, labor agreements. I mean, shouldn't the Bible be above all this and concerned with spiritual matters? Well, the Jubilee teaches us a lot about God. And that brings us to our second section. You see, this year, reveals in many ways God's nature and his character and that is this God is a God of justice equity and mercy first I want you to consider how the land was sold Okay, when a family was forced to sell their land uh, the price wasn't determined by market value or the level of desperation or one's negotiating skills. Rather, the the price of the land was determined by how far the Jubilee was. So, whether it was four months, four years, or forty years away, that would determine the price of the land. Of course, the further away Jubilee was, the higher the cost of the land. Now, the reason why God sets the price of the land based on objective measures is so that he can protect both the seller and the buyer. All right. If someone is forced to sell something, especially a large piece like land, there's a likely chance that the buyer would use that as leverage leading to price gouging. Now we see it today with um, hand sanitizers or toilet paper, uh, even medicine. However, on the other hand, there's, always, there's also the possibility That the seller being as desperate as he is might be tempted uh, to fabricate to lie uh, to inflate numbers or maybe not disclose certain things about the land trying to get as much as he could in his desperation and so for the protection of both parties god says use the jubilee as a scale you know if you've lived long enough you have probably experienced um, being on the wrong end of a deal right? where a transaction was made but it was heavily tilted towards the other person that feeling is unlike any other feeling the feeling of injustice the feeling of being wronged the feeling of being uh, taken advantage of Uh, I don't know how else to explain it except that Except that it sucks and it hurts. It hurts a lot. See, Jubilee reveals that God wants his people to deal justly and fairly with one another. Jubilee reveals that God cares deeply about justice. Second, the Jubilee was a preventive measure, was a preventative measure against uh, severe wealth inequality. Sure, people can sell and buy land. That is their prerogative. right? God gives to them the land. They have ownership over it. They can do what they want with it. However, we all know that if land is exchanged and those who have land, if this continues on for generation, we know what happens. Right? Eventually, those with land hold more buying power. And they have greater opportunity to buy more and more, and as a result, amass more and more wealth. And for those who've experienced something unfortunate, even though it was generations ago, we know that it will likely follow them. So, what Jubilee does is that every 50 years, it resets everything. It resets everything so that there wouldn't be this accumulation of wealth for generations and generations. It resets everything so that there wouldn't be this unbearable, backbreaking, crippling poverty for generations and generations. You see, friends, Jubilee leveled the playing field so that everyone would have a chance at life. Remember, this happened once every 50 years, so one would likely experience this at least once in their lifetime. So if you were born in a terrible, unfortunate situation, jubilee was your chance at life. Jubilee brought equality. It gave people hope, opportunity, a chance. See, Jubilee reveals that equality is something that God cares deeply for. But, it's not just justice and equality. There's also mercy. Friends, we know that sometimes people experience devastating loss due to factors outside their control. But we also know that sometimes people voluntarily, willingly, make bad decisions, whether it was a lack of knowledge or just blind ambition. People make mistakes that they are responsible for. But even though mistakes were made, what Jubilee does is that it extends mercy. It doesn't just give people a chance, but it gives them a second chance. Even if they were at fault. Even if the mistake was theirs. See, Jubilee reveals something about God. That yes, God is just. But it also reveals that God is merciful. He's compassionate. That God deals with his people not like a rigid judge. A stubborn judge. But he deals with his people like... A wise parent, justly yet mercifully. Now, this brings us to our third part. So, how can all of this be applied to us? Well, let me first say right off the bat that Jubilee, the year of Jubilee, and all of these practices can't be literally applied and followed. Okay? It can't be literally applied because first we don't live in an agrarian society. Uh, second uh, God's people are no longer organized under a nation and a government okay but most importantly none of us received land from God directly from God that is okay so Jubilee cannot be literally applied but at the same time I think the principles the principles of Jubilee, can be adopted wisely. And let me just share just a few of my thoughts and meditations on this. Um, first, Jubilee reminds us as Christians, as believers, that um, it's not just hard work and grit that determines success. Jubilee reminds us that there are factors external to our abilities and efforts. Sometimes we are at a disadvantage because of the mistakes of others, and sometimes we are fortunate because of the wise choices of others. Jubilee tells us that there's no such thing as a self-made person. We are both the beneficiaries of good choices and the bearers of bad ones. You know, Jubilee reminds us that sometimes, oftentimes, our success and failure in life is not solely dependent upon our own efforts and our choices. You know, in in uh, Deuteronomy, before the Israelites enter the land, there's this really interesting section, uh, starting from chapter six, going on to chapter eight and following, but the Lord is speaking to the people, and he says this, uh, particularly in, in uh, chapter eight. Uh, he says this, starting from 17, He says, be careful that when you enter the land, lest you forget the Lord your God. Lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God. See, God is speaking directly to this, that the good things that we have, that we enjoy, we can't take credit for it entirely. you know for instance, if you are gifted and uh, if you're gifted as a physician and you're doing well right now that's great. But you know if you lived 300 years ago and you were a physician then things would be different right People can't take credit for being born in the right generation and in the right country. And so if you're doing well, and life is all as it should be, you have a stable job even in this economy, and you don't have to concern yourself with too much instability, praise God. But Jubilee should also humble us. Now, if you are not doing well, and if you're struggling, if you've been the victim of some wrongdoing. Maybe you were brought here as a child and you don't have status here in this country. Whatever difficulties you might be facing. You know, the tendency or the temptation is for us to blame. Blame uh, parents, politicians. Blame siblings. Blame yourself. But the Jubilee also tells us to avoid these things. That there are external Circumstances that we have no control over from time to time. So Jubilee really humbles us and it uplifts us at the same time. Uh, Another practical point that that I thought of regarding the Jubilee is this. Jubilee tells us that our treatment of others should be defined by our our relationship with God. Look at these three verses uh, starting from Leviticus uh, 25.17. It says this. You shall not wrong one another, but you shall fear your God, for I am the Lord your God. Or, if you look down to verses 36 to 38, it says this, Take no interest from your poor brother or prophet, but fear your God, that your brother may live beside you. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, to give you the land of Canaan, and to be your God. Finally, verses 53, 55 He, the Israelite, shall not rule ruthlessly over his hired worker. For it is to me that the people of Israel are servants. They are my servants whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. I mean, these three verses or these three sections in Leviticus 25 sum up really well that our treatment of others is determined not by their treatment to us, and not by how much they are deserving of mercy and goodness. But our treatment of others should always be determined by our relationship with God. He says, don't do wrong to other people. Why? Because I am the Lord your God. Don't be a nasty employer. Don't rule ruthlessly over people who, are, who have hired themselves out to you. Remember, you are my servant. And I brought you out of the land of Egypt. You know, a third thing that Jubilee um, teaches us is that um, it teaches us how we can care and treat those who are less fortunate than us. If you actually look at how Jubilee was administered, um, Jubilee wasn't about bailing people out. It wasn't about just cash handouts. You see, the people, they sold their land and they lost out on the revenue for however many years. And so these people faced the consequences of their situations. It wasn't like they went scot-free. However, what Jubilee did was it restored them by giving them land. In other words, Jubilee was about opportunity. It wasn't just about money, but it was about opportunity. It was about access to capital. Friends, we know that extreme poverty isn't just about having less money. With that comes less opportunity, less access to health care, lower quality of education, lower quality of food, banking, insurance. It affects everything. And what Jubilee did was it it allowed the poor a path towards self-sufficiency and not dependency. I love what one pastor said about this, he said this, the year of Jubilee didn't do for people what they needed to do themselves, but what it did do was give the poor another opportunity by God's grace to make something of themselves. Friends, as Christians, our service to those who are disadvantaged and unfortunate, our service to the poor shouldn't be just handing out money though at times that can be helpful but as christians we should have restoration in mind we should think about how we can serve the poor and the disadvantaged to restore in them dignity to give them a path towards self-sufficiency and to offer opportunity and church this is so much harder to do than just cash bailouts. You know, if you really care for the poor and you want to find a practical way in which you can make a difference, um, I, I suggest you please go out and vote. I know sometimes uh, politics and uh, religion don't mix well, but if you really care for the poor and you have a heart to help them, to if you have a heart towards restoration, Study the issues, know the candidates, and vote. Vote, put people in office, those that you know who will help, who will make systematic change. And this is not just for things like the general election and the primary, but local government. Um, Vote for your district attorney, the right person who will administer justice and be merciful. These are real practical ways in which we can help those who are disadvantaged. Uh, Another thing that Jubilee teaches us is that Jubilee teaches us to strike a good balance between justice and mercy. If you look, uh, the year of Jubilee um, doesn't differentiate between self-imposed harm and victimization. It doesn't differentiate between those um, who were disadvantaged Versus those who caused that, who brought that upon themselves. You know, I know that we do this all the time. Right? We tend to be compassionate towards those who were born into poverty. But for those who brought poverty unto, them, unto themselves, we think, well, they deserve it. I mean, just look at the way in which ministry is done, often in the church. Orphanages receive more love and care than prisons. Friends, you know, justice and equality are things that the church should be fighting for. However, justice absent of mercy misses the most important thing, and that is love. Jubilee teaches us to strike a good balance between justice and mercy. Jubilee doesn't differentiate between people who have self-imposed harm, and those who were victims. And so, our generosity for mercy should be just as large as our appetite and our zeal for justice. Finally, another practical point that comes to mind is this. um, Don't hold on too tightly to our earthly possessions. I know that um, for some of you, Jubilee might be something really uncomfortable. You might be thinking, what, everything resets after 50 years? What's the point? Right, for those of you, um, you know, Ron Swanson types, right, you might be so uncomfortable with this, you know, giving back of the land, the resetting and the restoring of originality. But, you know, friends, in ancient Israel, the people were instructed to possess land for only 50 years and then go back to the way it was. We do it for how long? 70, 80 years? I mean, when we die, we give it all back anyway. Now, you might be thinking, well, this is all for my children and their children and the generations that follow. Oh, how naive. You know, your great-grandchildren will probably never know who you are. And there is no guarantee that your posterity will continue. There is no guarantee that your wealth will stay in your family. 70, 80 years and we all pass. We all leave this world in the same way we entered it, with nothing. So 50 years, you might think, oh, that's so unfair. But the reality is we have, what, 70 years, 80 years? And there isn't really much of a difference. Jubilee tells us don't hold on too tightly to these things. Um, In 1886, uh, Leo Tolstoy um, wrote a very short story called How Much Land Um, Does a Man Need to Possess? And in this short story, um, the main character is a uh, Russian peasant by the name of Paham. And uh, this peasant, he works really, really hard. He has tons of ambition. And through his hard work and diligence, he um, possesses uh, larger and larger pieces of property. However, Paham is never satisfied. Now, in the middle of the story, he meets uh, a group of Turkish men. And these Turkish men, they own an enormous amount of land. And they go to Paham and they make him an offer. They say this, Give me 1,000 rubles. And you can have as much land as you can mark off in a single day. But if you fail to make it all the way around, before sunset, you'll forfeit the money and you get nothing. So on the designated day of Paham, he pays and he starts off well. He marks off the first corner and he starts heading towards his second corner. But as he continues on, he spots an attractive meadow. He sees things that come into into his eyes and he says, you know what, I would love to have that as well. And he extends more and more his property line. He increases more and more of the surface area. Now when he reaches his second corner he realizes, oh my goodness, I don't have any more time. So he starts panting and he starts sprinting. He runs as hard as he can to make it back, to come back to where he started so that he can mark off the property lines. And he makes it just in time before sunset. Now the Turkish men, they commend him, they say, wow, that was impressive. but. Baham, the main character, he dies of exhaustion. And the story ends with his servants burying him in this very ordinary grave. And they ask the question. They ask ironically this question: How much land does a man really need? And Tolstoy answers it: six feet. Man only needs six feet. Friends, Jubilee tells us that we ought not to hold too tightly onto the things of this world. Why? Well, look at verse 23. He says this, The land shall not be sold in perpetuity, for the land is mine. For you are strangers and sojourners with me. This is the hope. God says, listen, don't hold on too tightly, because even though you possess land, you are still strangers And sojourners with me. God identifies with us here and He tells us who we are. And one of the things I love so much about the Bible is that oftentimes God tells us that we are His, right? God says, we belong to Him. God tells us, you are my possession. But you know, when it comes to land, when it comes to actual possessions, God, sometimes he reverses this. He says, I am yours. I belong to you. God says, I am your portion. I love how God just reverses this. He reminds us that not only do we belong to him, but that he belongs to us. That's what verse 23 is saying. Look, he identifies with us. He says, we're not just strangers, and sojourners, But he says we are strangers and sojourners with him. And so friends, whatever circumstance or situation you find yourselves in, please don't hold on too tightly to that. God is telling us that's not who we are. That is not our lasting identity. Jubilee was about 50 years and a reset our life is frankly not that much different. So these are just some practical ways, I think, in which uh, the Jubilee can be applied to us. And let me now get to the fourth section, and the final section. And that is, how does Jesus fulfill this? What does this have to do with Jesus? What does this have to do with the Gospel? Well, church, I'll have you know that Jesus considered the jubilee to be extremely important. You know, according to Luke, uh, when Jesus starts his public ministry, the first thing that he does is he enters into a synagogue on the Sabbath. He picks up the scroll that was there. It was Isaiah. And he reads it starting from chapter 61. And this is Jesus reading the scroll in Luke 4. Says this The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus reads this. He rolls up the scroll, he hands it back, and he sits down. And everyone is wondering, what is Jesus going to say about Isaiah 61? And Jesus says this, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Ultimately Jesus begins his ministry. He announces the start of his ministry with this, he says, you know that custom, that law this jubilee that released people that gave people freedom that allowed people a redo a restore this year that restored everything jesus is saying that's me this is how he begins his ministry the jubilee is upon you because i am the jubilee you know following this when jesus ministers to people throughout luke when he heals them, when he forgives them of their sins, when he changes their lives forever. Luke says that what Jesus did was he released them. That's the language of the Jubilee. Friends, what does Leviticus 25 and the year of Jubilee have to do with the gospel? Well, Luke in the New Testament tells us That Jesus is your jubilee. Jesus is the one who restores you. Jesus is the one who gives you another chance. But Jesus is the one who restores you not just once in every 50 years, but he restores you every day, every moment. See, the gospel is a message of liberty, of freedom of Jesus taking the consequences of our sins so that we can be given not just another chance. The gospel is liberty. Jesus taking the consequences of our sins so that we could be given not just another chance, but another life. And so friends, church, in our desire um, to do good, in our desire to be just, uh, to, uh, to promote equality, for uh, in our desire to extend mercy, I want to remind you this morning that Jesus is your jubilee, that he is the one who frees you who frees you from holding too tightly onto the possessions of this world, who frees you from thinking, I should take advantage of others because others have taken advantage of me. Jesus is your jubilee who frees you from thinking, well, they deserve mercy, but they don't. Jesus, the gospel liberates us. By telling us we have deserved, we have received something that we did not deserve. And as a result, that liberates us to go and be merciful. Friends, um, you know, I want to close today's message by um, just making things, um, making one point just clear. Because I know that um, some of the rhetoric, um, in the message um, is actually being used quite often in today's uh, current political debates and uh, I just want to say this you know the Bible is neither a supporter of communism or capitalism Okay, um, it's not about the state owning the land and it's not about wealth accumulation uh, the Bible doesn't support either communism or capitalism if you really want to know but I think what the Bible is about is the Bible is is about a monarchy a monarchy with stewardship and in this monarchy the king has absolute rule, power and authority but at the same time this king is a benevolent king he is a giving king he is a sacrificial king He is a loving king. Friends, every form of government will fail if its leaders are morally compromised. Even the most ideal forms of government. But what scripture offers us is kingship. God is king. He has absolute power. But this king is a merciful king. He is a benevolent king. He is a king who shares everything with us. And this frees us. This liberates us to not hold grudges against people, to not be bitter towards the world. This frees us from, from, from not having standards of mercy. This frees us. It liberates us to give mercy just as we have received mercy. Would you be restored this morning once again? as you trust in His forgiveness, and would you go and do likewise? Join me in prayer at this time.